It's Walla Moms. I'm Karen. Thanks so much for joining us. This is the podcast where we talk about current events, parenting, everything having to do in port with Portland because that is where we are broadcasting from, hence the name Walla Moms. But the name is Satire Guys, was not part of the Wall of Moms, had no interest in being part of the Wall of Moms. And in fact, as many of you might know, had you done a deep dive on this or been a Portland native, Wall of Moms were sort of uh, dismantled by BLM because shock, shocker, Wall of Moms was mostly white had no idea what they were doing or talking about, and were ostensibly there to protect the black protesters, uh, which was not received particularly kindly. And eventually Wall of Moms was sort of disbanded as a gang of useful idiots on all sides, left and right. But it's the name of the podcast because the name's Satire Guys, and I, I like satire. We have a lot to talk about. Thanks so much to our new listeners. Thank you for finding us on Walla Moms Pod on Twitter. Thank you to Mara, who recently tweeted out at Ted Wheeler, one of our podcasts about the homelessness crisis. For those of you who don't know, apparently there is a plan to clean up Cleveland High School. We've talked about this on the podcast before. And one of my favorite parts, this is from KGW. Dot com, September 7th, 2021, updated September 13th, 2021. One of my favorite parts of this article, it, the title is, Homeless Camp Near Cleveland High School Will Be Cleared After Parent Complaints. And then the subtitle is, A spokesperson from the city's Office of Management and Finance said Monday, the camp's proximity to Cleveland High School which sit blocks apart was not a factor. So they want to make clear to all you parents out there who complained, um, the city would like to make it clear to you that they're moving the homeless camp, but it's not because you complained. And it's not because your children go to high school there next door to a homeless camp. That's not why they're moving it. They just want to make that, (laughs) they want to make that abundantly clear to you taxpayers whom they serve, who who write their checks, that they're not they're not moving it because of that. So this is from KGW, September 7th, 2021. After parents complained to the city and to KGW about students having to pass by it when walking between their school and its football field, the city of Portland is planning to clear a large homeless camp in southeast Portland. Lime green eviction notices were found nailed to telephone poles and trees at the camp along southeast 28th place at Waverly Boulevard on Monday, September 13th. I lo- hey, I'm going to stop the article for a minute. I love that they have to give them eviction notices. I mean, I, from a standpoint of somebody whose father and sister were homeless, sister's still homeless, has been homeless for 20, going on 27 years. She's got a horrific heroin problem and um, I'm willing to pay for inpatient treatment, but she doesn't, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but part of the problem is when you're into heavy drug addiction and just based on my experiences, not as a drug addict, but certainly as a Al-Anon, um, 
member, as a family member of addicts and alcoholics, multiple, multiple addicts and alcoholics. My understanding is, and from their addiction medic- medicine physicians, that when you're pretty deep into that kind of addiction, you you suffer from a form of almost, a, a, it's a kind of dementia where you don't know that you need help and you're not aware of the kind of help that you need and you're certainly not aware of seeking it out yourself. And of course, the drug is telling you not to. And every bone, literally, because once you go into withdrawal, every bone in your body is going to scream bloody murder. Every bone in your body is telling you Go get the drug, forget about detox, because you feel like you're, and I haven't kicked, but I mean, I've seen people kicking and you feel like you're, they look like they're going to die and they communicate that they feel like they're going to die. And some of them do, which is why it's important to get them, especially like in al- alcoholics, you'd be surprised. Alcohol, withdrawing from alcohol, super dangerous. Get yourself into medical assistant assisted withdrawal if you're going to do that and benzos xanax that kind of thing you're going to want medically assisted withdrawal so that you don't die from the withdrawal itself but you know i don't blame her for not wanting treatment it's part of her disease she doesn't want of course she doesn't want treatment i mean it's just plus it's just hard i mean it it, i've never kicked but it's got to be one of the hardest things somebody's ever done in their lives and people do it over and over and over again because you know usually it doesn't take just once and I think those people are to be commended for that. But I, you know, speaking from a family member of homeless people, you know, that's her home wherever she happens to be. That's technically her home. And she's got her things. She's got a garbage bag full of things that she carries around. And I think my dad had a garbage bag too. I mean, it's, it's just easy. They're always, it's easy to find a garbage bag. And those big contractor bags are super sturdy. I think that's why they like those. Uh, and so I guess the idea is they need notice so that they can collect their things and they're not surprised and disrupted. And it makes sense here in the city of Portland where you're just literally allowed to camp wherever you want. Um, you know, the city says you got to be 10 feet away from a residential door or business door, and you got to be like 100 feet away from a school door. But we all know, I mean, just walk around. We all, we all look at Laurelhurst Park, look at, look at what's going on downtown. I mean, there are plenty of tents and homeless people just sleeping less than 10 feet away from business doors and the city's not doing anything about it. You know they're not going to they're not going to do anything about it. So effectively, it's just sort of game on and it's sleep wherever you want. And you know, I mean, I mean obviously unless it becomes literally a public health hazard, which is that's why they cl- cleared Laurelhurst. You know, you people on Twitter screaming about all the anarchists screaming about the homeless who were displaced because rich people made calls. Believe me, those rich people in Laurelhurst have been living with the homeless for years and making calls for years that have gone unanswered. What happened was that situation got so out of control, it became a literal public health hazard, and the city was finally pressured enough to move it. So the idea that a rich person can make a phone call and move a tent 
is absurd. Because if that were true, there wouldn't be any tents. Trust me. Or, or forget a rich person. A, a person with a couple nickels to rub together in their pocket. An employed person. A person who writes checks for taxes. Those tents aren't being cleared. If they could be cleared with a phone call, we'd be doing it. And back when you could report homeless camps, people were reporting them. I mean, they just stopped. They, I stopped making calls because they just sort of stopped responding to those altogether. And, and it's an answering service. You can't even get somebody on the line. But I guess I, guess I kind of get it. Um, if I'm the homeless person, I don't want to be disturbed while I'm sleeping by a sweep and I guess if I've got a bunch of stuff stashed away in a tent like my propane tanks and my bike parts or whatever I'm going to want to grab those before the sweep I don't know I mean I, I the the most rational argument for an eviction notice for a homeless person is that Portland basically allows it and so because of the fact that it's de facto legal to sleep or camp wherever you want, it seems like notice would be proper when the city decides to get off its duff and sweep the homeless camp. But if you took the eviction notices away, I wouldn't scream about it. Lime green eviction notices were found nailed to telephone poles and poles and trees at the camp along Southeast 28th and Waverly Boulevard on Monday, September 13th. Over the summer, the Portland City Council voted to prioritize clearing camps less than 100 feet from high schools. This person from the city's Office of Management and Finance said Monday, the camp's proximity to Cleveland High School, which sit blocks apart, was not a factor. The site's highest health and safety risks included the number of vehicles and structures present and the number of needles found, the spokesperson wrote. This is all sorts of scary. So first of all, the reason that they're clearing the camp isn't because it's next door to a functioning high school where students are going to be going. I mean, the, the teachers' unions have kept those schools closed for long enough. It's time to open up the doors where the political will has changed and kids need to be in school and they're going back to school this year and the city wants to be clear that they're not clearing the camp because it's next to a school. Why? Well, probably because it's more than 100 feet away from the door to the school. So that's what the ordinance says. I want, to, I want everybody to understand this. You can pitch a tent and be a-okay with the city because Dan Ryan and the city want you to be able to sleep safely and unencumbered. This is real libertarianism here. I mean, for a, for a far left city like the city of Portland, we are so far left, we are right wing. We are, you, you want to know what happens when you basically dismantle all government and it's a free for all and it's libertarianism slash anarchy, just come to Portland. Now, it's libertarian to a point. If you make $250,000 a year over, or if you like run a business, or you own a home, or you, hell, if you rent a home, I mean, they can park their tent right outside your rented home's door. If you live in your own dwelling that you pay for, and you're a functioning member of society, Rules apply to you. You're going to get speeding tickets, etc. It's not we're not full on libertarian anarchy, but as far as everybody else goes, as far as the homeless people go, as far as the criminals go, 
it this place is anar this is it is an anarchy it's a lack of government it is uh, libertarianism and anarchy run amok. If you want to see what a city looks like when government steps back and throws up its hands and invites the homeless to pitch tents willy-nilly wherever they want, come to Portland. Drive around downtown. So my guess is there, the city is probably right. It probably doesn't fall within the ordinance, it's probably over 100 feet away from the high school door. And what is terrifying is they're removing it because of the number of needles found. I don't know if you guys have been to documenting Portland or Portland looks like, well, Portland looks like shit got shut down because they, on Instagram, they filmed a shooting. It's hard not to film a shooting. Homicides are up 800% in this city. Are you guys aware of that? Oh, yeah, this is being completely buried right now. I mean, I just talked to a very politically savvy colleague, super tuned in to Portland government, super tuned in to what's going on around Portland. And she had no idea that homicides in her own city were up 800%. So... You know, they are really burying this. And to the extent that people are reporting on it, it's hilarious because the headlines are hot things like homicides in Portland are up 800%, but not for the reason the GOP says that they are. What happened to just reporting facts? What happened to homicides in Portland, Oregon, up 800%, film at 11? I mean, what what happened to that? These, these um, defensive narratives that the only people who could possibly be upset by the fact that homicides are up 800% and who could possibly be jumping up and down on that are the GOP is absurd, patently absurd. Anybody in their right mind should be terrified that any city in this first world country has homicides up 800%. And the people living in this city should be particularly terrified. And the fact that nobody is screaming about this is scary. This is from the AP. Homicides are up. Here we go. Wait for it. But GOP misleads with claims about blame. June 10th, 2021. Skyrocketing murder rates claimed the National Fraternal Order of Police, an explosion of violent crime, said Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Democrat-run cities across the country who cut funding for police have seen increases in crime, tweeted U.S. Representative Patrick McHenry, Republican from North Carolina. I love how they're leading with that. They're leading with GOP people who are jumping up and down about this. It, and, and I wonder, like, personally, I just wonder, are they the only people who give a crap? Are, is the geo, are people in the GOP the only people who, who give a shit about the fact that Portland homicides are up 800%? Are they the only people jumping up and down about this? Is that why the AP is quoting them? I don't know. I mean, it may be a rhetorical ploy to sort of straw man it, to set it up and knock it down. And, and that, that is what the article goes on to do. But I find it puzzling that none of our why isn't Kate Brown screaming about this? Why isn't Ted Wheeler screaming about the fact that his city's homicides are up 800% and announcing a plan about doing something about it? 
why is some dude in North Carolina talking about this? We should be talking about this. I want us to be talking about this. And the fact that we're not, and the fact that somebody who follows the news like a hawk, I mean, I sort of let the news fall, find me. I've got tried to get off of absolutely everything. The only reason I'm on Twitter is to help plug the pod. But, you know, Facebook is gone. It's all gone. Um, but, you know, all you have to do is look at, at Instagram accounts like Portland Looks Like Shit and Documenting Portland and see the number of needles and the amount of filth and, frankly, the number of shootings that are going on. And, in fact, uh, Portland Looks Like Shit got shut down because it filmed a murder. Like somebody was filming a tussle in front of a convenience store. Shots rang out. The guy was murdered. The video happened to capture it, and it went up on Portland Looks Like Shit, and the account was banned. I think it's back up now, and I think the video might even be back up, but obviously watch it at your own peril. I mean, there are some things you just can't see. You don't want to, I mean, just know what's there. Just know, you, you, We all need to understand this is going on. Not only this is going on in America, This is if you live here in Portland, this is going on in your city. This is where you reside. It's just amazing to me. So, and he, and here it is. Uh, this is in the AP, that same AP article. Homicides in Chicago up by 22%. In Minneapolis, up by 56%. In Portland, 800%. So, these news outlets are presenting this they're presenting the facts. They are reporting on them. They're, they're admitting that homicides in Portland are up 800%. But then they go on to say, well, it's not because they defunded the police. I mean, really? How do you know that? <laughs> do you know that? Is that why? It just is it, Does it just happen to be a coincidence? that we voted to defund the police and how, you know, frankly, my armchair psychology is it's, it's, and I obviously I haven't analyzed this and I, I don't have a PhD dissertation. I don't have a PhD period, but I don't have, I do have an advanced graduate degree, but I don't have a PhD in a, and certainly not in, I, I didn't do a dissertation on this or anything, but my armchair psychology is it's not, it's the defunding the police culture. Like, the AP likes to say things like, well, it can't be defunding the police because they're the center of defund police efforts, but they only trimmed the budget last year by less than 4%, which is short of the $50 million in cuts sought by activists. Okay, so they didn't defund police as much as they wanted. So according to the AP, because the activists didn't get as much defunding the police as they wanted, the murder rate of an increase of 800% can't be related to the defunding efforts. That's idiotic in and of itself. But my armchair psychology is just, it's a confluence of events. It's this is a defund the police state. This is an anarchist um, city. This is a... This is a libertarian to the extreme city. I mean, we are so far left, we're, we're right. We are, we are so far left that the government has stepped back. It's no longer liberal. 
The big government of FDR is not alive and well in Portland, Oregon, unless you have money, of course, in which case it's going to reach its hand in your pocketbook and regulate many, many aspects of your life, including how big you can build a house. And uh, it's going to, if you want to do anything to it, the permit process is mature unto itself. Um, and that's what's so amazing is everybody's always screaming about why we don't have more housing in Portland. Do you know what the Do you know what the bureaucracy around the permit process is like in the city of Portland? Do you know unbelievably difficult it is to build anything that's not an ADU where you promise to house the homeless in the city of Portland? If you want to build a primary structure, or, or really take do anything if you want to take a dump on your own property you got to have the city sign off on it it's the most cumbersome expensive thing ever and i i love how they're always complaining about how there there isn't enough well there isn't enough housing well do something about it then you're the city you guys are in charge you can change this you can make it easier to build things my god so yeah, shootings are up 800%. And I love it. I love it that we're going back to this KGW article about Cleveland High School. I, I love it that the city is admitting that the number of needles have compelled them to clean up the camp near Cleveland High School. Do you guys have an understanding of how many needles are around the city of Portland generally? I mean, take a look at that Documenting Portland and Portland looks like shit on Instagram. There's piles of needles all over the city. In fact, one time, um, y'all know my office is downtown, and I was walking downtown with my two elementary age kids, and there was a guy sh shooting up uh, in front of the, across the street from, bizarrely, across the street from Mercantile, which is one of the nicest clothing stores in the city, <sighs> near... <laughs> There's a 7-Eleven that they boarded up there. It's really classy, and that street's really beautiful looking. Poor mercantile. They're trying to sell these expensive, all these expensive clothes, and they're right next to a boarded up 7-Eleven and a guy who's standing in front of it shooting up. But he was standing in front of it shooting up, and he's completely out of it, as one would be. And he had a backpack full of needles, capped and uncapped, and he was... He couldn't keep track of, he kept opening his backpack and closing it, and he couldn't keep track of his needles. He was taking them out. He was putting them in. But anyway, they were spilling all over the place. And some police officers were on foot walking by. And I stopped him, and I said, I think this gentleman might need some help. And they sort of laughed me off and said, well, drugs are decriminalized, which, I mean, I, I you know, whatever. I knew they weren't going to do anything about it. Um, but, I, you know, I gestured to them that I had two young kids with me. And then I said, well, there are needles all around him, captain and captain. Obviously, we have citizens and pedestrians walking around. I gestured to the kids. It was a nice day outside. There's, I mean, there weren't a lot of people walking around because it's downtown Portland and it's, you know, it's the walking dead. So nobody wants to venture, actually venture down there. But to the extent that people were compelled to be there through work or whatever, they were, there were a few people walking around. And I said, well, what about all these capped and uncapped needles? And they laughed and they said, there are so many needles all over the city. It's not our job to pick it up. It would blow your mind. And I mean, it doesn't blow my mind. I work downtown. I know I live in the city of Portland. I mean, there's there was a needle in an uncapped needle in my neighborhood, which is 
you know, I paid a mint to get into. I get it. They're absolutely everywhere. But do you do you guys have an understanding of how many needles there must have been at this camp near Cleveland High School for the city to be compelled to clean it up? Particularly when the city has enacted this ordinance saying that it just go ahead and camp. Like just go ahead and camp 100 feet away from a school. Go ahead and camp 10 feet away from the, a door or, or a bit of a home or a business. So in that kind of a city where needles which are also ubiquitous, captain and capped have become a problem. There must, there must be thousands of needles there. So the KGW story says, a large homeless camp with multiple cars and a large banner advertising the sale of vaping materials. <laughs> I love that detail. <sighs> lies directly in the more than three block path between Cleveland High School and its track and football field complex. Parents, students, and campers agree that dozens of students walk by the camp at the park near the camp every day, but even in the face of months old city ordinance prioritizing cleaning camps near schools, a representative for the city said this one is not a priority. Uh, the reason the city said this is not a priority is because it's more than 100 feet away from the actual school building. There we go. So we knew that. We knew that that was going to be a factor. It's embarrassing. I personally am embarrassed myself, said Jacob, a man staying in the camp. I wouldn't want my kids to have to walk through it. I mean, the homeless themselves are saying, this is disgusting, the homeless themselves are pleading with the city to fix this mess. I mean, do you guys remember when um, there was that effort to try to get lay people to clean up Portland? Do you remember that? And it was like, we all need to be, the, there was a city campaign. We all need, it was this summer. We all need to be here for Portland. Uh, and, and they wanted the citizens of Portland to pick up the trash. They wanted us to just take care of it ourselves. And in fact, they were hiring homeless people. We did a podcast on this not too long ago. They were hiring homeless people like $20 an hour or something to help to pick up trash. And the supervisor was getting paid some. So the, the lady who was like scheduling all the trash collectors were, was getting paid some kind of ungodly amount that the city characterized as a living wage. <laughs> But I mean, anybody who looks at the Instagrams documenting Portland or Portland looks like shit or walks around downtown Portland, you don't even have to go downtown to do it. But who walks around knows that we're so far beyond this. We need FEMA to come in here. This is a federal issue. This is not something we're going to take care of ourselves. Yeah, here it is. This is, um, so Wheeler started this, hey, we all need to pitch in and start cleaning up Portland. He started that in June of 2020. And um, he's still pitching that. So, so it's not going well. That was a year ago. So it turns out that Wheeler, putting on a little vest and walking around um, Portland, poking papers and putting them in a little bag, is not... <laughs> that it turns out that is not going to do it that's not going to solve 
our trash problem. At Sam Adams and Mayor Wheeler stabbing pieces of paper and uh, engaging in awkward press moments where they're talking about how we're going to clean up, clean up Portland. Bro, that's not going to get it done. Yeah, and this is from February 2nd, 2021. This is great. Uh, KGW.com. Portland's mayor promises to tackle ta- trash and graffiti, but won't give specifics. <laughs> the promise of a plan. I can't even read this without laughing. The promise of a plan came a week after a survey showed the vast majority of business owners downtown agree trash, graffiti, and vandalism have become a problem. Portland's mayor says, just like his constituents, he hates the overwhelming presence of trash and graffiti in the city, and he plans to call in his fellow commissioners to help him tackle it. In an interview Tuesday, he refused to say when he'll make that push or give details on what he'll ask them to do. I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver, Mayor Ted Wheeler said. Yeah, you wouldn't want to do that. I want to make sure that we have a thoughtful program and we will be completely transparent with the public about both the plans and the resources as they're developed, but I'm not going to sit here and guess. When pressed on whether Portlanders can look forward to a ramped up cleanup program sometime this spring, Wheeler responded, we're going to do immediately what we can do immediately oh my god the promise of a plan came a week after clean and safe issued its annual downtown portland business survey showing the vast majority of business owners downtown agreed trash graffiti and instances of vandalism have become a big issue specific to graffiti and vandalism 73 percent said it's very much having an impact on business Regarding overall cleanliness, 86% say downtown, quote-unquote, needs improvement. (laughs) That's an understatement. Uh, The mayor said pivotal portions of his plan will come from his newest staff member, former mayor Sam Adams. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, and then most of you remember Wheeler and Adams walking around with a little vest poking me, (laughs) poking poking pieces of paper and giving news interviews about how they were cleaning up Portland. You guys, we are so far beyond this. Back to the KGW article. Multiple parents reached out to KGW's team at the story about the camp. Both high school and middle school students are having to walk through the camp around objects and trash on the sidewalk to enter the field, wrote a parent named Matt. The city needs to either take action to remove the homeless or allow the school to take action before someone is hurt. It is in the direct path from the school to school's track and field. It's absolutely shameful that our city officials are paralyzed and appear completely inept at doing their jobs, wrote another parent named Christy. Campers who spoke to KGW said no one there would ever try to scare, let alone hurt kids. Students told us the same thing. Cleveland High School senior Xavier Borowski said he's never felt threatened. Most people like avoid it, like they'll just go on the sidewalk over there and stuff, he said. A representative for the city said via email amid a booming housing crisis, the camp is not a priority. Yep. So So that was their first response. So now what the city is saying is the camp is finally a priority because there's enough needles and garbage there for it to be declared a public health hazard. I want you to go on documenting Portland and Portland looks like shit and imagine how many needles and how much garbage would have to be there to be declared a public health hazard. 
Yeah, so on the Documenting Portland Instagram, it's February 27th. And you can see there's a pile of needles, there's a gun, there's a knife, there's drug paraphernalia. But the pile of needles is really what'll blow you away. So just imagine there's even more than that. That was February of this year. You know, this is over six months later, half a year later. More needles than that on February 27th on Documenting Portland on Instagram. And that's what it took to clear a homeless camp next to what is apparently one of the best high schools in the city of Portland. And that is just absolutely shameful. And this city and its leaders should be ashamed of themselves. Let's take a look at the actual wording of this ordinance that was passed by city council that it was passed um, late June 2021 that allows people to pitch a tent 10 feet outside of your door, your business or residential door. So they could pitch a tent 10 feet away from the door to your house. It is 190478, the emergency ordinance. And in one of the, they, at the beginning of the ordinance, they list the city council's findings. One of the findings is that the city of Portland has experienced a significant increase in its unsheltered houseless, I love it that they use that word, houseless population in the past decade, many of whom live in tents, makeshift structures, vehicles, and other places not meant for human habitation. The cognitive dissonance here is incredible. So at the outset, the city is admitting that these tents and zombie RVs and burned out cars that its citizens are living in are not meant for human habitation. And then the ordinance goes on to allow for people to use those structures, pitch a tent not meant for human habitation, in front of a residence or a business or 100 feet away from a school. Another finding in the ordinance is that while housing is ultimately the solution to the houselessness crisis, it is important to recognize that the development of transitional and supportive housing takes time. So that tells us a number of things. It tells us that the council believes that housing is the real solution. Uh, that all we need to do is house these people and that will solve our homeless crisis. This is, I think, incredibly short-sighted and disappointing and lacks the, the vision and the insight into the complexity of the problem of homelessness. Recovery, both mental health recovery and addiction recovery are key components to solving homelessness. And I'm very disappointed at this echo chamber in city council of people who are so entrenched in a housing first model that they are blind to addressing addiction and mental health as at, at the very least, services that must be 
provided on the same level of importance as housing. Otherwise, we'll never solve the root cause. How, how did they get homeless? They just lost their house? That's not what happens. People lose their houses all the time. Many Americans lost their homes during the financial crisis and the foreclosure crisis of 2008. The majority of them, I would say the great majority, I don't have data on this, but many of us know people who were underwater on their mortgage, whose houses were foreclosed on, who had to sell a home in a short sale. They did not end up in a tent across the street from the Portland Clinic. They found other housing. So the idea that they're just not housed and we need to house them doesn't address the root cause of homelessness. It doesn't solve, put it, putting them in homes doesn't solve what got them into the tent in the first place. So we've got to put things like addiction, mental health, recovery, and treatment on, at the very least, the same level of importance as housing. Simply housing someone who is non-functional and literally disintegrating due to mental illness and addiction is not helping that person become a functioning member of society. The addiction and the mental health components still need to be addressed for them to live a whole, healthy, complete life and to thrive with the dignity that we want all of our human beings all of our citizens in our city to have and enjoy. This is from the Oregonian, December 21st, 2020. At least 113 people experiencing homelessness in Multnomah County died in 2019. Well, why did they die? It says Dr. Paul Lewis, who did the report on people who experienced homelessness and died, did a press conference and said that methamphetamines are playing a bigger role in deaths now. And he also said, and apparently the report noted, that drugs or alcohol were involved in about half of the reported deaths in 2019. And that among those who died in 2019, a third died of natural causes, some caused by complications from drug and alcohol abuse. This is from Willamette Week, October 16th, 2019. The headline is, Multnomah County's yearly report on homeless deaths shows rising numbers of meth-related fatalities. And do you want to know what the number one cause of death was from that report on homeless fatalities that was released in 2019? The number one cause was drug abuse. About 30% of deaths were associated with methamphetamines and 31% of deaths were associated with opioid use. 
Later in that same article, it's from Willamette Week, it states, Oregon has long come under scrutiny for providing relatively few mental health services compared to other states and has routinely come up near the dregs of states with the most drug and alcohol related issues. Several years ago, the National Survey on Drug Use and Health showed that Oregon was the state with the second highest rate of methamphetamine use. Last year, Governor Kate Brown declared a public health emergency for alcohol and substance abuse. But, as Willamette Week reported last week, Brown may delay plans to address the emergency for another 18 months. Well, it looks like she delayed those plans for years and years and is continuing to delay those plans. And she should be ashamed of herself. I will never understand the city council's refusal to address addiction and mental health issues as a reality and as a primary, if not almost complete cause of service-resistant homeless, i.e. tent-dwelling, RV, zombie car-dwelling homelessness. I will never understand that. Housing is obviously important, but it's just one piece of a problem that requires a lot of service, services and a continuum of care. It is progressive stepwise in terms of the solving the problem. It's, it's got to be progressive and the progression must be through, through mental health and addiction treatment. And we absolutely need to stop ignoring those components. You know, for everybody, all these so-called homeless or houseless advocates who are showing up at these tent cities armed and fighting the city when they're clearing tents and showing up with protest signs and forming human chains and not allowing sweeps of, of homeless camps. For everybody who's fighting to maintain this status quo, what is the body count going to be before you open your mind up to other considerations? How many ho homeless people are going to have to die before you finally realize that living in a tent and allowing that to continue is absolutely not the solution. I also wonder where the environmentalists are on this. Where did they go? This is a city that picks up garbage twice a month, period. No more than that. Even if you paid them more, they wouldn't do it. And they charge more now than they did before. And their argument is you should compost and you should recycle and you should reduce the amount of trash that you have such that it only needs to be picked up twice a month. This is a city that makes you pay for paper bags and they're all paper. Very rare to find the plastic ones. You got to pay for those. There's a little tax on those so that you bring a cloth bag to the grocery store. This is a city that has closed streets that were built for cars and turn them into bike lanes. This is a city that now incentivizes builders to create multifamily housing with no room for parking or cars of any kind because they want to increase the amount of bikes and decrease the amount of cars on Portland city streets. And yet, 
apparently nobody has taken a look at what these homeless encampments are doing to our water, our natural areas, our forests. For example, this is from KATU News, katu.com, July 14, 2021. Homeless camps along the Columbia have neighbors frustrated as the environmentally protected lands near their homes are littered with rotting garbage and much more. When Jennifer Wilkins told us there was a floating camp behind her home in Northeast Portland, we were a little confused. But that's exactly what we found when we took a walk through the woods along the Columbia Slough, a huge tent sitting on wooden pallets connected by a dock covering the water from bank to bank. We've witnessed them just whipping it out and peeing right in the water, said Wilkins. So where's the poop going? Probably in the water. Four miles away, just off Marine Drive, the problem is even worse. The Big Four Corners is Portland's fourth largest natural area. It's supposed to be protected land, but it looks more like a landfill right now. Kevin Hunt lives on the edge of the property, along with dozens of other people, in tents, campers, and cars. Hunt says he's been homeless for about five years. We asked him what it's like to live at the camp. It ain't the most happy thing, said Hunt. I've been through some depression. As we hiked around a third of a mile into the habitat area along the slough, the trail was covered with tents, trash, and stolen cars, some of them stripped down to the frame. George Donnerberg lives in a floating home across Marine Drive. He built the marina community in 1995 and told us there were no problems until about two years ago. Donnerberg says he hears grinders cutting cars at night. He says people from the camp have cut through a security fence multiple times, disabled the lighting, broken into cars, and thrown rocks at residents. But what bothers him most is what's happening to the Big Four Corners, an environmental protection zone. I'd be fined, sued, and put in jail if I did that, said Donnerberg. It's a natural area. It's absolutely being destroyed. And it'll take years and years to recover. The P zone is so restricted. You can't even prune a tree in there without a permit, yet the homeless can just go and bulldoze. Donnerberg knows the rules inside and out. Until two years ago, he served on the board of the Multnomah County Drainage District, which manages the slough. Jim Mata is the executive director of Multnomah County Drainage District. We asked him about the tents in and around the water, along with piles of debris and trash. It's horribly unsightly, and it's not hygienic, said Mita. We're seeing homeless people throughout our facilities, and our main challenge is we need to protect these levees, and we need access to the pumps and so on that help us keep water from filling up on the inside of the levee. Mita is very familiar with Portland's homeless crisis. Until May, he worked as Mayor Ted Wheeler's communications director. His new job is to keep people safe from flooding. Right now, they're unable to access the pump station at the Big Four Corners natural area. There are too many vehicles blocking the gate and road. Middaw's staff told us they're working with the city, the sheriff's office, and Cascadia Behavioral Health to find a compassionate solution. But the Multnomah County Drainage District can't do anything about the other parts of the camp away from the pump station. It's on city property and is managed by Parks and Recreation. KATU News reached out to the Bureau and City Commissioner Carmen Rubio, who oversees it. We haven't heard back from Rubio, but Parks and Rec sent us this statement. The city's homeless 
Preparedness and Urban Camping Impact Reduction Program and the City County Joint Office of Homelessness Services are the lead on major issues around Portlanders living outdoors, including any changes to policy and procedures around the pandemic. Portland Parks and Recreation understands that parks and natural areas the Bureau is responsible for maintaining have an intersectional relationship with the neighbors trying to survive outdoors. None of our parks nor natural areas are designed for people to live in, and when we encounter people living in parks, we offer to connect them with social services for assistance. The Bureau does not forcibly evict people from living in parks or natural areas. Because homelessness is an equity issue, that all Portlanders care deeply about, Portland Parks and Recreation will continue to work with City Council and other partners to support unhoused and housed Portlanders. Jennifer Wilkins does not feel supported. How is that even legal? How is that? I thought these waterways are supposed to stay open for flood zones. Why is this happening? said Wilkins. George Donnerberg is frustrated by the city's response and also left with more questions. I understand they need to house people. They have to find some solution, but they also need to prioritize where they're going to do it. To take the premier environmental land in the city and use that to house them is not the solution. I love it that Portland Parks and Rec, whose job ostensibly should be to care for our parks and rec, are refusing to remove homeless people who are spilling trash and feces into these allegedly protected areas that if some taxpayer walked into and began to destroy would be, as, as the guy said, would be immediately arrested and fined. Also, we know that this isn't a housing issue because according to PewResearch.org, March 11th, 2019, Estimates of U.S. unauthorized immigrant population by metro area 2016. This is just a, a survey. We've absorbed just, you know, this isn't even accounting for 2021. Portland, Oregon has absorbed 75,000 undocumented immigrants. And, you know, that was, that was years ago. So we're absorbing all of these undocumented people and somehow they are able to house themselves. I mean, these people come over here without a job, without money, many of them without family, without a passport. They find a place to live and we have absorbed them. And those studies about what homeless people on the streets of Portland are dying of, the ones that were we just discussed that were talked about in the Oregonian and Willamette Week, they, talk, they break down the racial population of these people in tent encampments, zombie RVs, et cetera. The majority, this shouldn't surprise anybody, we are the whitest big city in the US. The majority of people in these encampments are white. The, the large majority, I mean, this is over 80 some percent. So, and all you have to do is walk around and look at them. They're, most of who you see are white. These are not undocumented people. Everybody on, you know, you hear a lot of people in the right wing uh, pundits talking about how Portland's a sanctuary city and 
this is what happens with sanctuary cities. Well, no. I mean, the people in these encampments are white. They're not, they're certainly not Middle Eastern. <laughs> uh, they are not Hispanic. They're not black. They're white. And somehow the undocumented immigrants that we've managed to absorb in Portland are able to find housing at least in the Portland metro area. They house themselves. They're not in tent encampments. They're not on the street. The homeless are the mentally ill and the drug addicted. And until we start talking about that, this is not going to get better. That is the core of the problem. So they're chronically homeless due to addiction and mentally illness. And a lot of these people they're not going to get better when you put them in a house. They're going to continue to deteriorate. And unfortunately, there are no laws that allow us to take people out of tents. In fact, the law prevents us from even really approaching these people in a meaningful way unless they're interested in engaging in services. That's why you hear Wheeler saying, well, I'm encouraging them to get into, when, when he cleared that Laurelhurst camp, there was shelter space. They didn't, most of them didn't want to go. And he said, well, I'm encouraging them, but I can't really do anything. So unless they're willing to be treated or you can get them a conservatorship and good luck with that, the laws prevent us from treating the mental illness and we need our hosp state hospital any private services frankly we need more private services and they need to be able to take resistant patients service resistant patients and that is what we have here on the street that was my dad it's my sister I know them, I see them, I see exactly what's going on. I know what we can do, and I know that they will thrive in treatment. For instance, I know my sister who has a horrific heroin addiction would thrive in treatment. And instead, we are allowing people like her to deteriorate on the street. We've talked about this before, but weirdly, it's similar we see similar symptoms in the setting of dementia. If, and we rush in and we treat that. And if we don't, we're considered inhuman. That is a progressive illness, dementia, that has no treatment. But schizophrenia, bipolar addiction, fatal illnesses, if you let those go untreated long enough, they become irretrievable. But early on, you can change the course of that illness. And we're not doing it. We are murdering people as a result. You heard about these people who are homeless in these encampments and dying on the street. And my question is, what does the body count need to be? I'm incensed. What does the body count need to be before this city changes its rhetoric? It is out of control. They're dying. They're deteriorating. Housing is not the issue. Housing is part of it. Of course they need a place to go, but you have got to address the mental illness and addiction that's underlying this and get them to the facilities. And we have no 
ability to do that. The, the cruelty of this is unbelievable. And because of this deterioration and filth and this ordinance that allows people to camp in front of your home or your business or 100 feet away from a school, you won't meet a functional person who has the ability to leave who doesn't have a plan to leave. Everyone I know has a plan to leave Portland. If not their business and their residence, at, at the very least their business. And, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you wouldn't find a prettier place. I mean, I've, I've lived here, I'm a native. I've been here my whole life except for a period during middle and high school and my undergraduate work when I was in Washington. And Seattle is just a, another version of this. And it breaks my heart. And it kills me that homeless people are dying on the street in filth. Let's get down to the meat of this ordinance. Here's what it's here. Here's the encampment laws. The impact reduction program will deprioritize the removal of low impact encampments that are located at least 150 feet away from a preschool, elementary, or secondary school other than a high school. Apparently high school kids are I mean, it's true, they're probably better equipped to deal with homeless people, but this idea that we're having to separate kids out by age in regard to who's old enough to see and deal with the deterioration of people in tent encampments is really horrific. We're deciding how old our children should be to see things live that most of us wouldn't show them in a documentary. At least 150 feet away from a childcare facility or preschool, at least 100 feet away from a high school, there we go, and that's why they didn't clear that camp at Cleveland until it became completely overrun with needles. And by completely overrun, I mean, what's so interesting is I, I don't understand what constitutes a public health hazard in the eyes of the city because those photos in February 2020, excuse me, 2021, those photos in, in winter of this year on documenting Portland of the pile of needles at that homeless camp at, next to the Cleveland High School track, that is a public, I mean, one needle should be a public health hazard. And that pile of needles was not considered a public health hazard. So the amount of needles it would take to cause a public health hazard must be astronomical. Uh, 50 feet away from the property lines of a developed park, 10 feet away from the entrance to a residential structure, 10 feet away from the primary entrance of any business or commercial property. So there you go. They are going to leave encampments alone if they're at least 150 feet away from a preschool, elementary, or secondary school, child care facility, or preschool, 100 feet away from a high school, 
50 feet away from a park and 10 feet away from the entrance to your home and the entrance to your business. All of those encampments will be left alone. Now this is that same ordinance that establishes those quote unquote safe rest villages that my former moderates on the city council, Dan Ryan and Mingus Maps were touting out. And they've been profoundly disappointing as far left proponents of these encampments and these safe rest, quote unquote, safe rest villages, which are glorified encampments that will be scattered throughout Portland's neighborhoods. And why are they being scattered throughout Portland's neighborhoods? Well, we've talked about this before, but let's really underline the point because I think everybody in this city is a little too focused on judging the housed and pointing fingers at each other and calling each other NIMBYs, and they aren't thinking about the diabolical plan that is behind these safe rest villages. The plan is, you know, this idea that we're going to have wraparound services at these villages for people who want them. I mean, that's how they're selling it. They're selling it like, well, look, we need to help the homeless. So we're going to establish these villages and implement the kinds of wraparound services that these people need. That all sounds great. But you know why they're putting them together and they're scattering them throughout the neighborhoods? Because they're trying to get the encampments out of downtown so that the businesses come back and start spending money and so that the business owners stay in the city of Portland and continue to pay the exorbitant and ever-rising tax that the city and county puts on those businesses. And Willamette Week outlined this whole plan. This is from May 19th, 2021. Portland's mayor asked downtown law firms for help with plan to relocate people sleeping in front of their offices. It's from Willamette Week. Last week, managing partners from 25 of Portland's largest law firms assembled on Zoom to air their grievances about downtown homeless camps to Sam Adams. In reply, he made them a remarkable offer. Adams, the one-time Portland mayor, if anybody doesn't know, his downfall was due to a sexual relationship with somebody who said he was a minor at the time. And of course, Sam Adams denies that and says that the guy was a adult. So that's the man who is put in charge of handling homeless issues by Ted Wheeler now. Adams, the one-time Portland mayor, is now Mayor Ted Wheeler, czar of homelessness and his liaison to business owners. On May 11th, he had a virtual meeting with lawyers, many of whom have offices downtown, all of which lease thousands of square feet of prime downtown real estate. Willamette well, Week spoke to multiple people who attended the meeting. One moment stood out to everyone Willamette Week spoke with. Adams described the mayor's plan to create safe camping sites for unhoused people in Portland neighborhoods. And he pledged the city would move homeless campers from downtown sidewalks 
to these new encampments and campsites. The pl that plan has not been widely broadcast by the mayor's office. It's not listed on the mayor's website among his plans for restoring downtown for good reason. Adams went on to point out that the proposal is not going to be popular with homeowners in the neighborhoods where those sites would open. He told the law partners the mayor would need the vocal backing of their firms and other businesses. Adams' pitch and the meeting where it occurred display the pressures his bosses currently faces. In this same discussion, law partners gave Adams a message to take to Wheeler. Within weeks, their employees would be allowed to return to downtown offices after more than a year of remote work. If the mayor doesn't start getting tents off the sidewalks by the time employees come back, the firms may well leave downtown as their leases expire. And guess who's going to be paying for these campsites in your neighborhoods? That's right, you are. The city is using its own funds from the American Rescue Plan, $108 million this spring and a, another $108 million later this year. Okay, let's talk about masks for a little bit. Does Oregon still have an indoor-outdoor mask mandate? Yes, it does. And I don't think its mind is going to be changed by this new peer-reviewed study. It was done by, um, the article was in the Southern Medical Journal, 2021 of uh, September, September 3rd to be exact. The Southern Medical Journal is a peer-reviewed publication. And in fact, its results are also published at NIH, the National Institutes of Health, Gov. The study is called Analysis of the Effects of COVID-19 Mask Mandates on Hospital Resource Consumption and Mortality at the County Level. The conclusions were there was no reduction in per-population daily mortality, hospital bed, ICU bed, or ventilator occupancy of COVID-19 positive patients attributable to the implementation of a mask wearing mandate. Key points on visual examination, cases continue to climb despite implementing mask orders and we found no reduction in case burden because of the mask order despite adjustments for measurable confounders. The most interesting thing about this study is it is a peer-reviewed study with a control. My understanding is that the Oregon outdoor mask mandate came into effect because of the Pendleton Whiskey Festival, which was an outdoor music-oriented event in which some people came down with COVID. There was a fair amount of panic. We don't know if these people came down with COVID due to outdoor transmission. We don't know if they all used an indoor restroom together. We don't know if they all went out to a bar together but our panic-induced hand-wringing response to those people becoming infected with COVID uh, that we think came out of the Pendleton Whiskey Festival was an outdoor mask mandate. What's extremely strange to me 
is that if you turn on Monday Night Football, these stadiums are packed with 90,000 people screaming with no mask. And as far as I know, none of them have been super spreader events. Yet in this state, we have an outdoor mask mandate. As for the Pendleton Whiskey event, this was not hundreds of people or even thousands who ended up with COVID. It was 66 cases that the Umatilla County Public Health Director tied to the festival um, because that was linked to an outdoor music festival we went into an absolute breakdown of analytical thought critical thinking and what we know about the coronavirus and implemented our outdoor mask policy for the state of Oregon. The response here in Oregon, certainly in Portland, is to say, well, we need to put masks on outside because we don't know the likelihood of the Delta variant spread in the outdoors. And you guys know that, in my opinion, my humble non-medical opinion, which you know, is, is worth what it costs free. Uh, but listen, come on, let's put on our common sense thinking caps here and let's just say what nobody's saying out loud. Okay. Which is if you don't know, don't do it. This is what led to people in California being arrested on the beach. This is what led to beaches in California being closed. This is what led to playgrounds and parks being closed here in Oregon for months and months and months on end. This is what led to us spraying everything down and plexiglassing, and we can't stop. You know, we're still spraying and quarantining, and I mean, my kid's school is as thrilled as I am that it's that it's open. The the sanitizing and the spraying, I mean, all of this is still happening. And for some reason, we can't let go of it. Now, we, yes, we've opened up parks and playgrounds, but now they're, all the kids are outside with masks on. They're at recess with a mask on. They're in PE with a mask on. And we, you, all the experts are saying, we don't know if Delta spreads outside. We don't, but we... Maybe it does, so let's put a mask on because like 66 people who attended the Pendleton Whiskey Festival got COVID. That's a mandate for the entire state because of that. Something we don't know and we're doing out of an alleged abundance of caution. But it's been common sense for years that kids need to see faces. Suddenly, we don't care if they see each other's faces. We want to make sure they have a mask on. And again, we are not educating our residents on what kind of mask works. There's a study that came out of India. If you just Google India study surgical masks that said surgical masks worked. Now, that study was detailed in the Washington Post 
September 1st, 2021, massive randomized study has proved the surgical masks limit coronavirus spread. However, that study says that the people who benefited from surgical masks were 50 or over, which I find completely bizarre. So apparently surgical masks worked for those who were age 50 and over. Um, but er there was no benefit in anybody else in the population. It's just, it was such a weird study, but everybody went out to buy surgical masks because of it. But at least there's some, that's some data. I mean, at least for your population aged 50 or over, if you're a state with a mask mandate, maybe publish that information for them or tell them that that's what you recommend that they wear. And in the meantime, tell them to wear the one thing that we know works, which is an N95 respirator. But a blanket mask mandate is absurd and it's just more COVID theater. I swear to God, you guys, it's just, it's so true that the left-wing version of QAnon is everybody walking alone outside with a mask on. Thank you so much for joining us. I love you all. I really appreciate uh, Centrist in Portland on Twitter. Loving the content from Centrist in Portland. Loving the feedback on the podcast from you. Um, super nice messages from them. Uh, in love with Walla Moms. We love you back. And uh, a recent question I have received in the direct messages on Wall of Moms Pod at Twitter is, will you run for governor? The answer is no, for the same reason that I will not run for mayor because I live in Portland, Oregon. And if you say things that the far left doesn't like in Portland, Oregon, you not only risk losing your friends or getting in trouble at work. And I work for myself, so I don't have that problem. But Portland does have the added treat of having a far left contingent that engages via harassment and violence when people say things they don't like. Case in point, Dan Ryan, city commissioner's house, being destroyed seven times with impunity. And I don't care to be in the shoes of Dan Ryan, but... I would love to work with any of you who want to reach out. I have been in contact with public officials who are at least listening to my message uh, and engaging, and I'm having discussions with them. They're certainly not saying most of what I'm saying out loud, and I, I don't know that I blame them because, fuck, this is an anonymous podcast. I love you all. Thank you for listening to All Moms, the podcast where we say the things that you can't say in Portland. See you next time.